Hello at Blog Talk Radio. Uh-oh. All right, hold on here. Hi, everyone. This is Marcia Patterson. You're on the D-Hour Network. I am your host for today for your help. I am very excited about my guest tonight. We've, Shannon's been on, Shannon McKay. She's been on before, and she's with the Baker's Creek Heirloom Seeds. So tonight we welcome her back because, you know, this is summertime. You know, things are beginning to people are planting their vegetables. We're thinking about eating healthy and what to do with those seeds. And so she's going to be here to share with us her experience and what they're doing at Baker's Creek Seed Company and to educate us as everyday people on how we are to respect and love these seeds. Shannon, thank you for being back on the show with me. Oh, it's awesome to be back. Thanks so much, Marsha. I am so excited. You know, getting the Baker Seed uh, catalog is kind of like getting the Sears catalog. Back in the days when we were kids, <laughs> we'd be all excited about getting the Sears or JCPenney catalog, and you're looking through there. Because the catalog, to me, with the seeds, are just educating me about fruits and vegetables and flowers and things I have not being able to, you can't find an everyday grocery store. So tell our listening audience, for the people who will be listening, about the Baker's Creek Seed Company and love first about, about you and your mission there with them. Sure, sure. So Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds um, speaks to me uh, on a very deep level. I have always loved a story. And I've always loved connecting with other people and other cultures from other countries um, through common ground like gardening and food. Um, it started with food, and then I got into horticulture, and it, it became gardening and, and vegetables. But um, Baker Creek is an heirloom seed company. We offer only heirloom open-pollinated varieties, and I'll get to a little bit. I'll explain what those are a little bit later. We, we offer um, around 1,200 varieties of open-pollinated seeds, and our mission is to save the histories, the stories, the cultural uses, the significance, the nutrition, save all that information and share it with the public in our award-winning and very, very informative seed catalog. Um, Jer Gettle, the, the man who started Baker Creek, the founder and uh, still current owner and operator, um, he was really, really passionate about the diversity of heirloom seeds that was in the seed catalogs of the 1800s. He noticed that in the last 100 years, it seems that there was a sharp decline in the diversity and the number of seeds that were available to the public. And there was also a huge decline in the number of seed companies. There was a major consolidation that happened. So he wanted to make sure that we didn't lose these varieties because they're so special. These are traditional varieties that hold cultural, uh, ancestral, family, significance, nutrition. Um, He wanted to make sure that they didn't go away forever. And me being a lover of history, stories, and horticulture, I'm – a horticulturist after all. I was just I was just drawn to Baker Creek. So that's where we met up. I, I applied for a job with Baker Creek. I moved out to the Missouri Ozarks to manage the farm. 
and write the catalog, and I've been working with the company. Um, it will be five years in October. Wow. Wow. And I think that is a great thing to be able to have a job doing something your heart has a passion for. So it really don't feel like work. It's just a pleasure <laughs> to, to go to work and do what you really like doing. That is really great. I do have Marsha. I want to introduce. Okay, make everything crazy. I do have Marsha online. Marsha, are you there? Marsha, are you there? Yes, yes I, I can. Am. Now I can hear you. I told Shannon we're okay. going to make her crazy, so we're going to have her thinking she's on the Brady Bunch, and we're going to have this Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> so we got a, we got a, we have an Atlanta Marsha. Where are you at, North Carolina or Mississippi, uh, Marsha? I'm, I'm in Mississippi this week. All right. Okay. All right. So Mississippi she's in Mississippi. So the Mississippi Marsha and the Atlanta Marsha. <laughs> Both in the South. Um, I like it. Yeah, I have a question. I know, I know. But, Shannon, um, explain to our listening audience the difference between heirloom seeds, GMO, and hybrid. What is the difference right. between those seeds? Sure, sure. That's a great that's a great thing to figure out. So a an heirloom seed is open pollinated, which means that when you allow the plant, whether it's tomato, a, a pea, a flower, a bean, whatever, you let it go to seed and you save those seeds that the next year the plant that grows will look and taste and be just like it will be genetically similar to the parent plant, to the plant that you saved it from. A hybrid has been more recently crossbred, and it, if you save those seeds, it likely will not breed <clears throat> or come true. So if you save the seeds on a hybrid tomato, say you went to the grocery store, you ate a really tasty red tomato um, with yellow stripes, and then you saved the seeds and you planted it, um, the next year you have that tomato grow up, and then it would form fruit, and it might not be the, the same color that you remember because it's a hybrid. It was more recently bred, and it was bred with um, – it, it wasn't uh, bred in nature. It was intentionally bred and, and, and crossed. Um, so there's hybrids. There's heirlooms. And all hybrids are not bad. It's not bad to make a hybrid plant. Um, it's just different, and it's and in, in from the perspective of a seed saver, you you want heirloom seeds so that you can reliably save your seeds year after year and know what you're getting. So on a sustainability perspective, an heirloom seed is is nice because you don't have to buy seed packets every year like you do with a hybrid. So uh, then there's GMO, and that is when um, it the the hybridization that is done to the plant cannot be done in in nature and it can't even be done without a lab technique without gene insertion so it's a totally different ball game and most of the gmos that are available at this point are um, large scale commercial agricultural crops like corn soybeans uh, cotton um, there are some GMO papayas and some GMO zucchini out there as well. But um, you're not necessarily going to run into too many GMOs in your vegetable garden seed um, selection unless you get some 
accidentally cross-pollinated corn because corn is wind-pollinated. It's very easily contaminated, and a massive percentage of the corn grown in, the, in America is GMO. Um, GMOs are, were, are pretty much developed mostly to withstand um, heavy chemical use. Um, they're uh, things like Roundup Ready corn. That is a corn plant that was um, manipulated to be able to be sprayed with the Roundup herbicide or glyphosate. And Roundup is actually um, very, very infamous in the news right now because there was a huge lawsuit right. that um, mm-hmm. about it being a carcinogenic. And um, I even just saw on the television a few days ago there that you can call in if you think you were exposed to glyphosate and it resulted in a lymphoma that you can call in and um, work right. with a lawsuit on that. So, so Roundup Ready Corn is big. That's a big GMO. Um, BT cotton, BT corn, that is, that is um, a crop that has had a natural, a otherwise naturally occurring um, fungus in, uh, inserted into its genetic profile so that it will um, kill, oh, BT will kill caterpillars. So, and so the we corn, specialize in the corn. only heirloom open pollinated. So the corn you sell, because I'm looking at the big variety of corn. I mean, I had no idea there was black corn. Um, I mean, I yeah. had corn came. I, I mean, corn. You know, you should see the Indian corn doing uh, Thanksgiving, and we used to yeah. hang those on the door as a decoration type of thing. Um, then you have these corns that look like they're black and white, and I mean, they speckle. Are these yeah, are non-GMO so corn? Yes. Yeah. Those are heirloom open pollinated varieties, and they represent a cultural significance with the Native American tribes that grew them and have been um, tending them, stewarding them, saving them. Um, that job is getting much, much harder with so much um, GMO corn grown across the country and it being so easy to, be, to get your corn contaminated. And once it's contaminated, there's no going back. You can't get the, those genes out of your corn. So... Um, yeah, there's an incredible diversity of Native American corns and corns that have been bred over the last several hundred years, and it's it's a real shame that they're in danger of being um, contaminated, and it's also a shame that our food system has become so um, and, uh, not diversified. It's become uh, one giant monolith, and it's and it's all the same. And so we're eating a lot of processed corn products, which are repurposed into different things like graham crackers and pop tarts and cheese doodles and whatnot. Um, when really there's an astounding diversity of vegetables that we should really be taking, taking advantage of. We could be eating six different kinds of corn, one for polenta, one for, you know, one for popcorn, one for grinding, one for sweet corn, and uh, all with different and impressive nutritional profiles, um, really incredibly, incredible flavors, um, so much better than getting cheeses, cheese doodles, and uh, crackers. Right, right. How do Baker Creek seed 
get their seeds, where are they finding their heirlooms, and do they have land that they're actually growing these uh, fruits and vegetables and corn that is making sure it's all heirloom, or do they have individual farmers that are doing this for them? We um, we contract out with farmers who uh, grow grow these varieties and then sell us the seed. We also work with a few other seed distributors who do heirloom open pollinated um, varieties. So it's a mix, um, but we do have a lot. I think we have a network of over 200 growers across the country who grow our seeds and um, produce them. It's just not possible with, with having 1,200 varieties to um, have the correct growing climate to grow seed on all of those varieties because growing a seed crop can be very different from growing a crop just to eat it. Um, sometimes coaxing a crop to grow and form seeds takes a specific kind of climate or location or altitude mm -hmm. that we just don't have. We also really like working with farmers and keeping that small. That is a that is a dying out industry, the seed growing business. Um, and a lot right. of small yeah. organic farmers supplement their farmer's market sales or their CSA sales with um, growing a seed crop. That's the majority of our growers are doing that. They've, they've, they're diversifying their income so that they're not all banking on farmer's market sales or CSA sales or, you know, value-added product sales. They're also growing a seed crop. So diversifying your income as a farmer is really important to make sure that you don't have a really bad year one year just by accident. Right. Now, if a farmer's interested in growing for you guys, do they – depending on the region they're from and their land, did you guys go out there and survey the land? How is if someone's interested in doing that, if they have land or is a farmer and would like to grow um, a produce to save the seeds to sell back to Baker's Creek? How is that? They just contact you guys or do you guys go out there and survey their land? So they would contact us, and I hope that anyone who's listening who's interested in possibly doing that for us should really reach out. That would be fantastic. We're always looking for new growers, um, especially growers in the south. You guys have a great, um, a great unique climate depending on what part you're in. So um, they should reach out to us, send us an email, um, seeds at rareseeds.com, and we will get them to um, a couple of our seedsmen. We have a few seedsmen on staff, and what they do is they will call you or take your call, and they'll find out where you're growing, what your specialty is, what you're already good at growing, and what you can potentially grow um, for a seed crop, what your capacity is, how much. Um, they're, they, these guys are experts. They kind of they know they don't actually have to go physically out to your land um, to be able to tell you what would be successful for you. And uh, basically we drop a very loose, well, I shouldn't say loose, but we drop a contract and we get people um, to grow the seed, and we and we work with the, what they like growing and what grows well, and figure it out from there. So my question: So you're saying, so you're saying that if you want to grow seed crops, you would just apply with you all, and then you all yep. would see what the person actually wants to grow. Yep, exactly. And you're looking for a lot of that. Yes, we would love to hear from people. We would love to get more people growing. Add to our group of 200 strong. Because okay. I know a lot of the farmers, 
there's quite a few farmers in the South that are suffering, and they, the, some of the farmers market in rural areas, and there's quite a few people who have land, and they're not utilizing that land because the farmers market, they're not making, as you said, making enough money from the farmers market, but they can probably grow that and have that as a subsidized uh, income coming in for the farmers. So I, I think that's a great idea. So we need to be able to put that on Facebook and get this message out to some of the farmers out there in our rural areas here in Georgia and even in the Mississippi oh, area because I know. Yes, I think that would be great. Marsha, you know quite a few farmers that way, don't you, in Mississippi? I have another question. So when 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 there's a farmer that wants to grow just the seed for you all, do you all provide Uh Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? If there's a farmer that wants to grow the seed for you all, do you all provide the seed for them, or they have to purchase the seed? When they enter oh, the no, we provide, we provide we provide the seed to you. Okay. Okay. Wow, that is great. That is, I think that is some really great information. Now, I have one, another question. Are all heirloom seeds organic, Shannon? Not necessarily. Um, it, it, they don't. Ha- most of our seeds are grown on organic farms, farms that are certified organic, but we don't require it for our company. Um, just because we've found that we've had some growers who are following the organic practice, we ask, we we work on an honor system. We have a high level of trust with our with our growers, and um, on the honor system, we ask that folks um, follow the organic standard. If if they can get the certification, that's a bonus. But we understand that some of them are not able to get that certification. We have some very rural farmers, some farmers who just don't have access to getting all that paperwork and um, the cost of getting certified, which isn't, isn't too bad, but we don't want to exclude those folks. So we just um, have an agreement that they follow the organic standard. And because uh, orga- uh, to get that certification, it can be very expensive and lengthy for that farmer. Isn't that correct? It can be. I, th- I believe that there is work being done to make it less taxing on the farmer, but yes. Wow, that is great. That is so great. Um, Marsha, do you have another question for Shannon? Well, I wanted her to explain to a person who's listening and possibly getting into farming and don't really know uh, what she means by growing the seed and how that how that actually transpires. How do you grow the seed to get the seed? For instance, taking a taking a crop and saying how would you get the seed from that crop? For your right. I mean, could, sure. So we would assess, you know, what you already are good at growing or <clears throat> what grows well in your area. So it could be anything from tomatoes. Um, growing tomatoes from seed is fairly easy. They're not they're not readily, you know, cross pollinated. Um, they're self fertile. So you would just let the seeds really mature and almost start rotting, and then you would ferment the um, the tomatoes with their seeds and then you strain out the seeds so that's a process um with beans and peas it's very easy you just allow the plants to dry um on uh, you allow the the pods to dry on the plant um we also have an awesome awesome very knowledgeable seedsman who does do a lot of teaching for um our growers if they want to learn about how to save seeds 
And I should mention for any anybody who wants to do any seed saving at home, that on the Rare Seeds website we do have a growing guide where it teaches you how to grow each. It, right, you know, I, I wrote it out a few years ago, and it basically is a growing guide how to start things from seed, how to harvest, how to cook each crop, and then we also have a section on seed saving. So it'll let you know the distance you have to plant um, plants apart to avoid cross pollination, or if you need to worry about cross-pollination at all or if you need to isolate them or if they are self-fertile, it will let you know um, how to save the seeds, whether you let the fruit rot and say, you know pick the seeds out later or whether you allow the pods to dry on the plant. Um, there's a, a bunch of different methods for every crop. And then, um, it, and then I also mention how, how long the seed will remain viable if kept in proper conditions because – all seeds, depending on the crop, have different um, lifespans. Things like parsnip seed will only last a year or two, even kept in the most ideal condition. And then things like beans can keep for indefinite, indefinite lengths of time. I mean, they've been finding seeds that have been left in clay pots in caves in Arizona that might be a thousand or more years old and still viable. Wow. Wow. But, you know, one thing I've learned, my daughter and I, we have, I've been saving seeds. Like if I purchase some organic apples or something, that, uh, some, some great tomatoes, I would take the meat out the potato, I mean the tomatoes, you know, just take the seeds and stuff out that tomato, put it in a jar with some water, and cover it with a yep. paper towel or a cheesecloth and let it, um, as you say, ferment, and it turns green. It, like it gets mold on there, and then I wash yep. that off. And I take it and put it on the seeds on a paper towel and let them dry out. Now, do yep. you, I've had read where some people take the seeds and actually put them in the freezer to kill off any virus or anything that's on there, to making sure they stay dry and cool for a long period of time. Is that correct? That was my Shannon? question, Marcy, about the freezer. Oh, um, okay. So actually, I've 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 never heard of putting the seeds of tomatoes in the freezer to kill off pests. Okay. I've heard of um, folks making a mild bleach solution, very mild, and, and, and treating the seeds with just a little bit of bleach. Um, okay. I've also heard of people doing it with hot water. Um, I've not yet heard freezer. I would be a little reticent only because tomatoes aren't particularly frost hardy. I mean, sometimes they'll come back in your garden after a hard freeze and you'll be pleasantly surprised. But often okay. they won't, so I think um, I'd have to do a little more research before I gave a good answer on that one. I was just speaking with, with a, someone just a minute ago, and they were saying that they put watermelon seeds in the freezer, and they actually grow afterwards. Huh. Oh, okay. All right. That's very because, interesting. You know, I, 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 I'd like to look into that more. Because you know the the the, uh, the doomsday vault they have in Arctic um, Norway, those are yes, those being, are kept very uh, cold. Yes, yeah, they they're frozen, and they, that's a bank, the seed bank they have in Norway. For those who's not familiar with it, it's called the doomsday vault, and um, it opened February of two thousand five, 
and this is where the United States government, Bill and Melinda Gates, the Rockefeller Foundation, the city of Norway, and the country, uh, the country Norway, all these countries came together, and they have a bank where they're actually banking heirloom seeds from every country uh, have their uh, bank account of their seeds in this vault. But since then, many other seed companies and vaults have sprung out throughout parts of the world. Is that correct, Shannon? That is correct, yep. And actually, I um, they had to actually pull from Svalbard. It's called Svalbard, S-V-A-L-B-A-R-D, is the name of the, um, what's the nickname, the Doomsday Vault. And um, they've actually pulled from that already because of conflict in um, the Middle East that caused one seed, one regional seed bank to have to close down. And there was a, a concern that there was wow. a loss of varieties. So they had to pull from the seed bank already, which was unexpected. They, they were considering it a doomsday vault that would only be open or only be used in case of a catastrophe. And, and it's already, already proving that it's an important asset because um, there was a danger of losing those varieties. And I think one of those countries was it Iraq or uh, Afghanistan. It was Syria. One of those countries have already. It's Syria. Okay, Syria was the one that had, they had started banking their seeds, but because of the war and what was going on, they had to pull their seeds from that bank. Yes, and then the bank, and then that bank was moved to Egypt. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. So they. Now, if they're already, yeah. if, if they're already, Marcia, uh, question: If they're already pulling from the bank, then I can see why you need more growers to to produce seeds. Absolutely, yeah. And and these are things they say that the best seed bank is really home gardeners. It's it's people keeping things alive. So by getting more heirlooms in the hands of more gardeners and teaching more people, everyday people, just gardeners, like like you, like the both of you and like listeners, just gardeners, farmers, getting everyone to learn a little bit about seed saving and pick their favorite, favorite two or three crops to keep alive. Um, that's the strongest way to really save our seeds beyond them. Um, the small part is very important, um, no doubt, but it is also incredibly important that we are just growing them all the time. And improving. And, you know, um, looking at what's happening through Brazil, Venezuela, Africa, a lot of those people are hungry. But had those people had seed because they still have the climate, they still have the weather where they can actually grow their own food, but now they're standing in line waiting for food. So I think it's important for people to have seeds, knowing what to do with those seeds, and have a harvest. Absolutely. Yeah, and... And um, it's important for us to remember to keep local food systems intact because the real, the really weak point that you can be at is when all of your food is grown by just a few entities and people are completely disconnected from growing their own food. That's when it is the most easy to manipulate or control your food supply. So there's a real national security part to saving seeds and having your own garden. Wow, wow. We're going to take a break. We're going to be, you're on the D Hour Network. I just want to thank Shannon because she's given us some great information. I'm hoping people would take this information and share with their families and friends. 
And just remind us that for your health is to educate us about taking care of ourselves and being more self-sufficient. I just want to thank you guys. We're going to take just a small break, and we'll be right back on the D-Hour Network for your health. Thank you.
All right, you're back on the D Hour Network. This is Marcia. This is July the seventh. I just want to wish everyone a happy July because it's nice and hot down here in Georgia. It's pretty much been warm, I think, pretty much across the state. But today we have our guest, and that's Shannon McKay. She's from the Baker Creek Heirloom Seed. And so we're talking about the importance of seed. And I think one one part of our conversation is really having enough to think about, and that is being self-sufficient, having your own seeds, growing your own food, and being able to pass those seeds from generation to generation. Because as I got from your conversation earlier, Shannon, the heirloom seeds were passed down from generation to generation. That's how people was able to preserve those seeds and the quality of flavoring because the taste is so much better. I've the other day, I was looking for a watermelon. I had been in the grocery stores shopping for a watermelon. I would not buy a watermelon unless it had its seeds. And it is so yep. hard to find a watermelon or even find grapes with seeds in it, okay? Absolutely agree. So I'm, I'm coming down Moreland Avenue here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was in the store. I'm craving watermelon. It's hot out here, and I want a watermelon. And I see this farmer with his old run-down kind of little truck, and he had this trailer full of watermelon. I said, eh, eh. I put on brake and did a U-turn. <laughs> Came back around, around the corner. I said, hey, sir, do you have watermelon with seeds in it? And he goes, old farmer. He said, yes, ma'am, that's what I'm in here to sell. He said, my truck is acting crazy. So what happened was his gas gauge wasn't working on his truck, so he ran out of gas. And this lady happened to have a gas can. So she gave him used some gas can, and, and, and in honor of letting him use her gas can, he gave her a watermelon. So I'm in the following this man to the gas station, got me a watermelon, got me some tomatoes, and um, I bought torn tomatoes and um, sweet potatoes. I told that watermelon was so delicious. I told my daughter, I said, oh, my God, this tomato remind me of my mother-in-law's tomato that used to come off her vine, off the vine, and it was just so juicy, and they had a taste, because now when you go into the store and get some of these watermelons, it don't taste like nothing. It has no flavor to it. It just has the color, yep. and it has no seeds, and I don't like that. So to be able to get food that actually tastes good, the tomato it wasn't firm and hard and just looking like a tomato. This actually tasted like a tomato. And, you know, finding food like that is very, very hard and very rare because all the seeds I see here in your catalog, the watermelon. I have never seen, let's talk about the watermelon. The watermelon, <laughs> yellow, orange, what is going on? Can we grow those type of watermelons here in the United States, or are those watermelons coming from other parts of the world? No, those are great, great watermelons for growing in the U.S. In fact, most of them were developed in the South. I've got a great one called um, Orange Glow that we offer that was originally developed by the Wilhite Seed Company in Texas. It's a great southern watermelon. And it it thrives. Actually, Orange Glow is a really well-adapted variety. I've seen it thrive in a, a huge range of climates. But um, Orange Glow would be fantastic in Mississippi and in Georgia. It's just it's beautifully adapted to the south. Um, it thrives 
in heat and humidity. It's got a beautiful orange flesh. Who's ever even heard of an orange watermelon? Before I worked for Baker Creek, I certainly hadn't. So we've got these beautiful varieties like Orange Glow. And, of course, you growers in, in Georgia have to try the Georgia rattlesnake. That one is a top choice for the south. Um, that would also grow well in Mississippi. Um, Georgia rattlesnake, Orange Glow. Um, there's other great southern varieties. I love Sweet Dakota Rose. It's not even necessarily a southern variety, but it'll grow well down there, and it's got a fantastic, super sweet flavor, and it's a classic red. But I, I love the Orange Glow. That's my top choice. That's my number one, and it, I know it would do well in your area. So I, I recommend growers get out there and try the Orange Glow. Um, and then I see you, you have one. You have one that's moons and stars too. It actually looks like the, the moons and stars on. Yep, we have the beautiful moon stars watermelon, and it's got those um, that nice artistic um, skin to it. It's uh, artful, you know. It's got the splotch of of small and large dots like moon and stars. Beautiful variety, good flavor. What about the the, wow. the the black? What about the black diamond and the jubilee? Oh, I love jubilee. That is another one that's going to do really nicely in the south. And then black yes. diamond, I haven't had recently. Um, I haven't had black diamond recently enough to give a good tasting to give good tasting notes on it. But uh, I do know that it's a pretty well adapted variety that could grow pretty much anywhere around the country. Right. In in Simpson County, Mississippi, uh, that's what they grow, the Black Diamond, Black and, the Diamond. Jubilee, and, the, and the Jubilee, and they are delicious. If you've ever had a Simpson County watermelon, then you know you've had mm. a watermelon. I'm going to have to try a Simpson County watermelon. Next time I'm in the area, I'll, I'm, I've been meaning to stop <laughs> in, in Mississippi. I'll have to stop in, visit you, and we'll have a watermelon. Okay. Look, Marcia needs to bring me a watermelon <laughs> from Mississippi. <laughs> Yes, that a Mississippi now, Marsha watermelon. That's what you need. Yes, yes. We might have but to do that, Marsha. Yes, yes. Now, Shannon, I'm noticing going through the catalog, the vegetables, the fruit, the deep color. Do the deep color have some nutritional value to our uh, to the food that we're eating when they have the deep colors, like the vegetables, the purple, um, the purple. Um, Sweet potatoes and carrots, the rich uh, purples. I didn't even know uh, carrots come in purple color. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. So yes, um, absolutely. Um, darker, brighter, more vibrant color in vegetables is a sign of a more nutritious vegetable. Um, the color purple specifically is um, a marker of the antioxidant anthocyanin, which has been shown it's an antioxidant. So it has been shown to have anti-cancerous properties. And um, it's just generally a helpful, a helpful antioxidant to have in your diet. So the purple sweet potatoes, the Molokai purple sweet potato from Hawaii, the purple carrots, um, those are really um, purple carrots originated. Actually, the original carrots were are believed to have been a dark purple color. Um, so we think of purple carrots as something new, but it's actually that's an old that's an old variety. Um, orange carrots were only developed in the last few hundred years. So we got the purple carrots, purple sweet potatoes. 
Um, we've got purple tomatoes. They're not quite a true purple, but they're a really nice kind of reddish, reddish black purple color. Um, purple kale, the scarlet kale is a beautiful bright purple. Um, we got um, purple onions, beautiful purple onions. Um, so that color, and oh, and of course we've got the, the black coolie corn, the Peruvian black corn, which is really purple. And it's, and it's a terrific Wow. And you know, who would have known that carrot, and I had heard from Dr. Sabi that orange carrot is a hybrid carrot. Is that correct? Um, well, in a, in, a, in a technical sense, it was once a hybrid, as in as in the orange carrot was developed. It was bred. Um, it wasn't. But yes, the the color orange was not a natural adaptation. It wasn't a natural adaptation that happened in nature. It was developed um, a few hundred years ago. That being said, it was developed naturally by selecting. Most likely, it was done by maybe cross pollinating. Um, a yellow carrot, or maybe selecting, maybe someone was growing yellow carrot because yellow carrots are a natural color. Maybe someone was selecting um, and growing yellow carrots and they saw one that looked a bit more orange and they just selected for that deeper orange color over and over again. So, yes, in some sense it is a hybrid, but it's now, now those, the yellow, the orange color has been stabilized and um, when you grow the seeds out from your orange heirloom carrots, they have to be an heirloom orange carrot, of course. There are hybrid heirloom orange carrots. But if you save the seeds from your orange heirloom carrot, yes, you will get an orange carrot in return. Um, so yes and no. Complicated answer. I have a question <laughs> about the carrot also. Which mm-hmm. is the sweeter of the carrots? Which is the what? Which is the sweeter of the carrots? I know about the antioxidants, oh. the darker the color, the better the antioxidants. But which are the sweeter of the carrots? Great question. So I'll give you a flavor po- profile on all the carrot colors because I've I've dabbled in carrot tastings um, several times. I really like doing carrot, trying all the different colors and comparing their flavors. So we have white carrots. Those are probably the most, um, the least sweet are the white carrots. Um, those are oftentimes hailing from places like Belgium. Um, it's a European, typically European carrots, white carrots. Then we've got yellow carrots. Those are also from that region of Europe. Um, yellow carrots are pretty sweet, um, kind of have a, a blend between nutty and sweet flavor. Uh, then we have purple carrots. Those have a bit of a spicy flavor to them with mixed with a bit of sweet. I really like purple carrots. A lot of purple carrots come from Turkey, some from Afghanistan. And then we've got um, the red carrots. Red carrots are often from places like Japan. There's red carrots grown in India. Um, red carrots are super spicy. They're not really sweet at all. I mean, well, the Kyoto red is actually pretty darn sweet, but typically red carrots are are spicy carrots. Um and then I would I have to say the orange carrots are oftentimes the sweetest. So I pick orange carrots for the sweetest, but I really like the nuanced flavor of the purple carrot. And I think people should really give the purple carrot a try. And I think it's really fun to try the spicy red carrot because we're not accustomed to that flavor and it's really nice. 
I'd like to ask the same question for the sweet potato. Ah, okay, great. Okay, so we've got <clears throat> sweet potatoes that are uh, a deep orange, like the Beauregard, and, and uh, uh, Jewel. And those are southern sweet potatoes. Um, you guys might call them yams. They're sweet yes, potatoes. we do. That's exactly yep, what we they, call them. They're called yams. They're not, they're not technically a true yam. The true botanical yam is actually um, an, an African plant that is related to lilies. So it's, it's, it's called yams because uh, back a couple hundred years ago or about a hundred years ago, um, farmers in the South wanted to distinguish and market their sweet potatoes, make sure that people knew that they were sweeter and more moist flavored are moist fleshed than uh, the sweet potatoes grown up north. So to distinguish their product from northern sweet potatoes, they call them yams. So we've got things like Beauregard and Jewel, and those are the dark, deep orange varieties, and those are um, yams or sweet potatoes from the south. Super sweet, extra super sugary sweet, yummy. Then there's um, the purple sweet potato called Molokai, and that one's from Hawaii, and it's got a deep, 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 plum purple flesh and skin. It's purple inside and out. And that has um, a, a sweet flavor, but it's not, well, actually, it's pretty darn sweet. And um, it's got a, uh, a semi-moist flesh. Not as moist as the southern yellow orange sweet potatoes, but pretty moist. Then we've got the Okinawan purple sweet potato. That's from the island of Okinawa. It has a white skin and a lavender purple inside. Um, that's grown all over the island of Okinawa, Japan. It's kind of a dry-fleshed sweet potato, but it has a nice sweet flavor. Um, and then we've got the Jersey yellow, which would be more of a northern sweet potato, and those are very dry-fleshed. They're sweet, but they're, they're very dry-fleshed. Um, so when you eat them, they've got a more of a – I don't want to use the word chalky because that's a bit of a turnoff, but um, it's not very – tasty sounding but they've just they're they're not as they're not as wet and mushy as a as a southern sweet potato they're a bit more dry and maybe a little bit better for making like sweet potato fries and then so we've got the jersey yellows the northern sweet potato we've got the yams the southern sweet potatoes we've got the molokai purple purple inside and out and then we've got the okinawan purple sweet potato and then then there's the then there's the Myanmar purple sweet potato, which has a purple skin and a white inside. Um, there are also different versions of that sweet potato. It's basically kind of known as just an Asian sweet potato. And it's white on the inside, and it's purple skinned, and it's very sweet, and it caramelizes beautifully. Now, what about the white sweet potato? Um, and that one is white on the inside and the outside? Yes. Um, yes. That one I don't know very much about. I haven't I haven't grown that the white inside and outside sweet potato. I don't really know very much about it. Okay, I, it is it is a little drier, but it it does have some sweetness to it. Mm, yeah. So the, sweet potatoes can be dry. You know, they don't necessarily have to be moist and sweet. That doesn't always have to go together. They can be dry and sweet as well. Okay. Now, Shannon, the question I have for you, are you guys coming up with new seeds? Can you cross-pollinate heirloom seeds of different kinds, of the same kind, to get a different breed, or 
are you coming up or, or coming in with new seeds or new products or new um, fruits and vegetables that may be found in other parts of the world that we're not familiar with? Right. That's a great question. So um, there are a few different definitions of heirloom depending on who you ask. Some people say that an heirloom is a variety that has been grown for over 50 years, has been stabilized, and the seeds have been saved reliably for over 50 years, and it has a seed, you know, a history or seed story. It has to be open pollinated, which means the seeds can be reliably saved, and then it has to be at least 50 years old. Others consider an heirloom just an open pollinated variety, one that you can reliably save the seeds on. Now, Baker Creek, we're in the second camp. We consider an heirloom anything that is open pollinated. Why do we do that? Because we know that there are some really incredible open source, open pollinated breeders out there who are working tirelessly and they're not really patenting, they're not patenting their varieties and they're bringing some really incredible open pollinated varieties to the table. And we want to make sure that they also get um, in the catalog that we could sell their seeds because um, a great example of someone who's doing that right now is Brad Gates at Wild Boar Farms. He is making new heirlooms. Um, he is making open pollinated tomato varieties. So um, maybe some, I think his dream is that some young person who is into tomato breeding might take his stuff and spin off of what he does and make some other cool cool creations. Brad is making really colorful, really veiny tomato varieties. They've got fantastic flavor. They grow really well, and they have really cool colors. Um, Wild Boar Farms is his website. He's Wild Boar Farms Tomatoes. He's, he's brilliant, and he's, he's doing all new, all new heirlooms. And so we want to be able to showcase things that, that Brad is doing. Um, so, yes, uh, people are right now making new heirlooms. Yes. And what was the name of that website or his website again? Wild Boar Farms. Wild Boar Farms. Okay. Now, as I'm looking in the catalog and I'm looking at some of these produce uh, that they're taking photographs with the children, beautiful children, they're uh-huh. huge. Some of these vegetables and produce are humongous. Is it because of the soil yeah. or the seed? What is giving these huge produce? I mean, because, you know, you go to the store, you don't see nothing that's huge. These things are huge. <laughs> that's what I'm looking at, right. produce. Some of those giant varieties, most of them, the genetics for how big the variety will be is pre. It is predetermined in the genetic profile of the plant. So. Somebody many, many years ago decided that they wanted to grow a giant radish. So they selected for the biggest radish in the pack. And they selected and they selected and they selected over and over and over again for the biggest radishes and the biggest beets or the biggest tomatoes or the biggest pumpkins. And so what we have is uh, plants that are, that are genetically designed by natural process of just selecting, um, just by natural selection, are, are bigger. And um, so that is that is the explanation behind those giant vegetables. Now, that being said, the way that you grow the plants and that if you treat them better and if you still, and if you do your own work to have a bigger to have bigger fruit, which might include feeding the plants certain nutrients or um pulling all the other fruits off of the plant so that the plant can put all of its growing energy into just one fruit. There's a few different techniques and methods that one can employ to get a super giant fruit. Basically, it's the genetics, and um, a lot of that 
um, a lot of these giant vegetables we have, those were kind of spurred by um, giant vegetable competitions because for uh, at least a few hundred years, people have been competitively growing giant vegetables. Right, and that's when you I, I, I've been reading about. I've been reading about giant giant vegetable growers um, who would hold local competitions. Um, in places like the UK, that that's been going on for a couple hundred years. Um, we have friends. We have a great connection with a giant vegetable grower in the UK. His website is called GiantVeg.co.uk, and um, he's a second-generation giant vegetable grower and doing fantastic things, teaching people how to grow giant veggies, um, competing, saving seeds, selling giant vegetable seeds. So. You guys should check out giantveg.co.uk. They're doing some fun stuff. I want to thank you for clarifying something for me because I always thought that the heirloom seed was the seed that was passed down from from the Garden of Eden from generations to generations. But you shared <laughs> me the different. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of other people probably feel the same way. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we're getting. I don't think that those farmers who do that, um, I don't think they're getting enough credit. They're doing something really fantastic. And yep, so heirlooms are not, you know, the fuddy duddies of the garden. There are new heirlooms out um, left and right, and they're fantastic. They're selected for color, for nutrition, for flavor. You know, they're not selected for the big commercial agriculture qualities of uniformity and. Um, and shipping quality, they're more, they have a bit more personality than that. They're more bred for, for, for color, for fun shapes, fun sizes, fun colors, um, giant, miniature, uh, bold colors, lots of nutrition, and most importantly, incredible flavor. That's all, that's all for okay. So thank you for that clarification of being from the city. I don't know quite as much. I'm learning oh, from the country. I, mean, I, I didn't know hardly anything about heirlooms before I started working for the company. I was just, I was just a small farmer who really liked growing Baker Creek seeds. Wow. Wow. Now, um, about the large vegetables, now, would that change the taste when it gets so big? Would the flavor and taste change when they're huge, or they're just the big ones are just for display to show they can get that big, or do they actually eat them? Um, yes and no. Some some large varieties remain tasty. Some remain, or some grow to a point where they're only good in your compost or to feed your animals. Um. A lot of people do feed their giant vegetables to, like, pigs or horses or things like that um, when they're done showing and competing. Um, we have one new giant vegetable. It's, it wouldn't con- constitute as giant as in round, but it's giant as in tall. It's called the walking stick tail. Um, it was developed, um, I want to say, in around the 1800s. It, it was when we first observed it being mentioned in seed catalogs and things. And it's a kale or cabbage that grows incredibly t- an incredibly tall stalk, thick, tall stalk that in its homeland range can grow up to 20 feet. But in our greenhouses, we've seen it at least grow to 12, 15 feet already. And it's a kale or cabbage where they strip the leaves off of the tail, they allow the stem to grow incredibly tall and skinny, and then they harvest the, the stalk 
they they um, sand it down and varnish it, and they make it into walking sticks, like canes. Wow. Yeah. And wow. what I've noticed is if you pull off, because you have to pull off the leaves along the stem as it grows to make sure that it grows a nice straight stem, because if you leave the leaves on, the stem is going to contort and twist as, a, as the plant kind of moves towards the sunlight, depending on its leaves. So you strip all the lower leaves off, just leaving a small tuft at the very top. It kind of looks like a sunflower. But those little leaves that you're constantly stripping off along the stalk, they're delicious. They taste like little Brussels sprouts. So it's a giant vegetable that actually has lots of edible use. I read in an old gardening magazine from the 1800s that folks would actually savor that top rosette of leaves at the end of the season when they would, when they would pull up the stalks to be dried for the canes. They would chop the top rosette of leaves off, and they would boil it, and it would be a, a really tasty dish. Um, and they would also feed um, – it would be a, used as a fodder plant as well for their sheep. Uh, Marsha? Wow. Have you, Marcia, yeah. can you plug Jerry in? He has I'm a question. Oh, okay. I will. Okay, we will do. Hold on. Jerry, you have a question? Yes, how you all doing? Okay, go ahead. Can you hear me? Shannon's listening. Okay. We can. We can hear you. Hello. Hi. Where's your name? Shannon McCabe. Okay, Shannon. Uh, just a quick question is for the heirloom, the heirloom seed uh, versus the hybrid seed as far as uh, and we're here in the South, and we have so many different diseases and fungus and so on. So, are your growers now having anything, any kind of problems, or how are they combating the different disease? And that, that, I know that's one of the reasons the hybrid seed came in, other than other reasons, to try to fight the diseases. So are you raising the seeds now? Uh, what are they doing to combat the uh, diseases and different diseases just out there, even in the air right now? Oh, absolutely. So, yes, hybrid vigor is important for um, for combating some of those diseases. Also, selecting for um, disease resistance in hybrids is also important. That's why I, I don't like to say that hybrids are bad because lots of farmers utilize them, and, and they are, there are lots of disease-resistant hybrids that are great. I think that it's really important to remember that a lot of those traits for disease resistance are found in heirloom seeds, and then they're crossbred to make some more, um, some tough hybrids. So keeping right. the diversity, yeah, keeping the diversity alive is an, it's essential because it's kind of like keeping your strong gene bank, strong gene pool alive so you can pick and pull from things. Maybe in Georgia you didn't know that you were going to need a drought-resistant trait for your watermelons because you never have drought in that area. But fortunately, someone was saving seeds for a more drought-resistant, um, heat-tolerant watermelon. And, and then if, if you have a weather event that, or a, ch- a general change in weather trends, you can have that genetic um, diversity to pull from. And it could be the same way with disease. Um, so I'd say there's, ob- there's definitely a place for hybrids. It's important in that way. But keeping the diversity of heirlooms alive, it, it, it means not putting all our eggs in one basket, like, for example, the lumper, the lumper potato in Ireland. And if there was a bit of genetic diversity, there would have been strength 
in that potato crop and it wouldn't all succumb to disease. So that right there shows that it's important to keep that, that diversity because when you do need to use heirlooms for crossbreeding to make hybrids, you want them to be there. And if we were to, to um, forget the importance of those, we wouldn't have as much to work with. Are growers now, are they running into any problem with the heirloom seed as far as hyacinths, different diseases and fungus? And you cut out just a little bit. You said the growers, are they running into a problem with, with what? With, with the, the, the diseases and fungus in growing the heirloom seed. Are they running into any problems? And I, I don't know if you have any in the South. Um, we do have growers in the South. Um, I don't know that they've run into significant problems with disease. There are um, there are things that you could do, like even just a hot water, even just a hot water treatment to your seeds, where you just put your seeds in a bit of hot water, and that can help to uh, reduce um, disease. But uh, I can't speak to each and every grower's experience. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was my own thing. I'm not that I'm you know, pushing the hybrid. I prefer the, the heirloom seeds, but I know in oh, certain, yeah, certain yeah, I know in certain cases the heirloom seeds, you know, they just can't compete with the different diseases and so forth and hair and everything just now. But that's the absolutely it, and and there and it's just a, it's a balancing act. I think I think that there are moments when an air, when a hybrid steps in and saves the day, and there's lots of moments where heirlooms step in and save the day and it's just important to keep that genetic diversity available to us so we can always kind of pull ourselves out of something if it comes up disease wise or weather pattern right. wise. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well thank you for that. That was a great Jen, question. I have a question. Jen, I have a question about the hot water. So when we get the seeds and they have say that I got uh, the watermelon seeds. I took the watermelon seeds from the watermelon I ate and I saved them. What I did was just rinse them off and let them dry out. At, should I have taken hot water and poured over those seeds and then let them dry on a paper towel? And normally what I do is once I'm drying out a seed, I put it in an envelope, a little small envelope, and put the date on it. And um, the year that I've um, put the date on it and label it what, it what it is and then just save it. So, do you so I'm, not, I'm not so well versed with the. I'm not so well versed with the, exactly the specifics of the hot water treatment. I know that people do it. I haven't personally done it, so I would suggest that you do a bit of research before you try it. Okay, okay. Now you said there was someone there at the Baker's Creek Seed Company that educate about how to save seeds, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, you guys have festivals every year. Talk about the festivals, because I know you have one in May. You got one coming up, the Heirloom Seed Expo. Um, that's in September or November? Where is that? Yes. What date is so that? September? Our, yes, September. The first, um, uh, I want to say it's the first, some, uh, oh, gosh. It's the first week of Hold September on, in Santa Rosa, California. Yeah, it's. In Santa Rosa, California, the first week of September. And it's called the National Heirloom Expo. It's at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. You get about 18,000 people coming over the three-day event. Um, it's just a beautiful expression of um, heirloom seed lovers. Uh, lots of people come. 
and we all uh, we do talks on gardening and farming and heirlooms and eating healthy. There are vendors, there are exhibitors. There's a massive exhibitor hall. I believe we I've heard I've heard talk that it may be one of the world's largest produce displays. It is a massive display of produce. We have a huge squash tower, which is basically just a massive tower display of heirloom squash in every shape, color, and size. It's incredible. We've got we've got all t- um, watermelon tastings. I know you guys love the watermelon. We do a tasting where you can try a dozen different kinds of heirloom watermelon that you've probably never tried before. We do um, tomato tastings. We have a dahlia show. We have a giant vegetable competition, a giant pumpkin growing competition where we get some monstrous pumpkins. So it's just a fantastic event. Um, we've been doing it for sheesh, almost getting close to ten years now. We're not quite there, but we're close. Um, and and uh, it's 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 a one of a kind event. I don't think there's anything out there like it. And I really I hope that some people would be able to make it out to us. So that's at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds in Santa Rosa, California, on the first week of September. I don't know the exact date um, offhand. And then we also have September our September planting festival. Oh, is that it? It's September 10th through 12th. Thanks, Marcia. Yes. I should know that. Um, and then we've got the um, May Festival, our Spring Planting Festival, and that is the first Sunday and Monday in May every year, and that is at our flagship in Mansfield, Missouri. So you get to see our little pioneer village that we have here, and um, you can see our greenhouses and our fields of um, different crops that we've got growing, and we've got a vegan restaurant on site and a seed store. Um, that's a really fun event as well. It's a very down-home Ozark experience. So if y'all never made it to the Ozarks, you should come and check it out. It's beautiful. Um, it's a really nice time of year. I, I love the Spring Planting Festival. It's really the heart and soul of Baker Creek. Wow, I, you know what? I want to make it. I'm, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make the next one because I keep saying I was gonna go, and oh, every time yes, I turn around, do. it's I wanna, come I up on me. And I'm, person, Marcia. Yeah, we do. We do we'll record. Um, we'll now, have to record a show from there. Hey, sounds like a plan to me too. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea. <laughs> I love that idea. That's all. That's okay, It does. It does. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Marcia. Do you ever do any of the festivals in the South? As I was looking online, I didn't see anything that's close to Atlanta or Mississippi. We don't do anything um, farther south yet. I mean, who knows? Maybe one day. I would love that. I would love to do something maybe in, maybe in uh, who knows, any, any of the southern states and, and do something. But at, at this point, no, we just do our, our spring planting festival. Okay. Uh, one other question: Do you have um, programs or or classes that would help to get young people involved in farming? Um, well, well, I think folks should definitely check out our YouTube channel. There's a lot of free education on our YouTube channel. Um, our YouTube channel is just called Rare Seeds. Very simple. Um, we've got a really fun playlist on our YouTube channel called Seed Stories, and that is all different histories of the different heirlooms that we offer. We've got a couple, I, we've got a, at least a dozen videos up there right now, and they're just beautifully produced. We have a, an incredible editor, writer, um, narrator, um, Michelle, and she is just phenomenal seed storyteller. And so she and I have been working together to write um, these seed stories, and 
it's just a really fun way to learn about heirlooms um, and learn about their history and their cultural significance. We we produce the videos so they're narrated. There's lots of images. You're going to see how what the plants look like um, growing. You're going to see what they look like um, prepared in food. You're going to see um, historic photos, maybe from when it was first listed in a catalog in the 1800s. Um, you're going to see pictures of the the town where it's traditionally grown. There's so much backstory that we give you when we tell you these seed stories. So if people want to start learning about the history of heirlooms, definitely get on our YouTube channel, Rare Seeds, and check out the playlist seed stories. And then I've been teaching um, little, I've been doing little garden tutorials on the YouTube page for years. I've been working for Baker Creek about five years, and I've been putting up um, videos with them. So I've got one on harvesting sweet potatoes, actually, which you might find useful. Um, I've got a, but we have a bunch of different videos from a bunch of different educators that have worked for Baker Creek. So um, definitely, I encourage people to get on our YouTube channel, check that out, get on our um, the rareseeds.com website, and go uh, to the drop-down tab um, about the about drop-down tab, and we've got a growing guide that's very helpful. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different different ways to to get an education, and then um, if people are looking to go a bit deeper, but they are not necessarily you know they want to go deeper than what baker creek can offer i always recommend reaching out to your um local county extension agent finding out about your local master gardeners program if you want to get a certification of some kind or even just volunteer with master gardeners um there's a lot of ways to get involved maybe your local community garden is a great way to start if you've got a, um, a community garden or an urban garden or a, a, a soup kitchen garden around anything like that is a great way to get involved you know, uh, one thing I like what you guys had, when I had my store, uh, you had a children's book to educate kids about seeds and things like that. Oh, yeah. Do you guys still have that book? That book is still available? Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I did. I wrote that book for Baker Creek about four years ago. Um, oh, and I love yeah. it. <laughs> wow. It's, oh, it's a fun yeah. book. Yeah, it was really fun to write. It was really fun to write. Um, so, yeah, that's still available on the website. And, in fact, if, if anyone out there is listening and they've got a school program, any kind of not-for-profit, not any non-for-profit or school program or community garden, and they want some free kids' books, be sure to send us an email at com, and we will get you some free kids' books because we'd like to give those to people who are bringing the education to, to kids. Oh, that's nice. Home, yeah, home, that's home groups, school groups, anything like that, we'd love to – Love to share that with people. And you can also purchase it online if you're just wanting to buy for yourself. Yeah, I bought that and handed it out as the kids came to the grand opening of the store. Uh, we had um, oh, given cool. away those little books to educate the next generation because, to me, that's so important for us to teach the next generation on uh, the importance Aww. of seeds. You know, we're, those seeds are important. That's our lifeline. That's how we're going to be able to survive is to be able to have that food resource within our community. Uh, we don't want to have to wait for the government to bring some seeds down from Norway for us to grow our own food. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm so, it, it really warms my heart to think that there's kids down in Georgia reading my, my uh, our, our, I should say our, reading our, our kids' book. That, it, that, that kind of reach um, makes me really happy. Yeah, those those books are really really nice. I loved it. I love the books. Now, what is the top ten best selling seeds with Baker's Creek Seed Company? 
Oh, well, I don't have the list handy, but I do know that um, Blue Lake Bush Bean is a really big one for us. Boston Pickling Cucumber is really big. I believe the Detroit Dark Red Beet is really popular. Um, the Mortgage Lifter Tomato is really big. Um, the Black Beauty Tomato is a really big seller. Um, pink Celery, we just rolled out a new crop this year, Pink Celery, and that's from China, Beijing, China. Um, pink Celery pink? was big this year. It's pink. Is it really it's pink? bubblegum pink. <laughs> okay. Pink celery. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. It's incredible. Um, and you know, with the top ten, Marsha, I think I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to uh, dip out. I'm gonna have to leave. All I right. Well, thank you so much for. Ta- yeah, I know. I know we was uh, taking up some of your time today, but I love it. I love oh, the no, fact thanks. that you gave I'm us so great information. To do it. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank we you had both. a great thank time. Thank you, Marcos, so, for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> thank so you, thank I, you, thank I you. Every, All right. Let's I, I encourage everyone that wants to get – oh, sorry. <laughs> I encourage anyone no, to check out rareseeds.com. Yeah, I encourage everyone to check out rareseeds.com. Um, yeah, if you're working with a nonprofit, you want to get some young kids some some free kids' books, Send us an email, feeds at rareseeds.com, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Marsha and you guys, hold on. We'll be right back to follow up our conversation. All right. Have a blessed week, Shannon. Thank you for being on. Thank you.
Our network. I'm your host, Marsha Patterson. With uh, we had Baker's Creek, Shannon McKay on, and co-host with me tonight is Marsha Dixon. So we got Marsha, Marsha tonight. I just wanted to take time to thank Shannon for being on the show. This is part two with the Baker's Creek Seed Company. I like bringing her her on to remind us because people think more about gardening and having a healthy food, what those seeds look like. We just want to make sure you're planting the right kind of seeds so you can get the right produce because it has a profound effect on our health. And I think it's also teaching us to be self-sustainable. Marshall, kind of reflecting over our conversation with Shannon today, what did you get from this conversation today? Well, I enjoyed the fact that she was able to talk about the seed and where they came from and uh, how many hundreds of years they've been out there. And even the fact that there are um, groups who are, uh, are developing new heirloom seeds since I had the wrong description of an heirloom seed, and I truly learned that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and how they were cute. able to, yes, and how we, how they're able to genetically put those seeds together. Yet it's it's on the good genetic part of the actual genetics of the seed itself. I thought that was very important to know that. And they deal with the genetics of the seed themselves and don't try to add other things into it, but to, to bring out the, the personality of that seed to make it a better seed, which uh, also goes into hybrid seed, but the hybrids are good, and then also genetics are good uh, as far as uh, being genetically sound with with the heirloom seed of, of what was created, which is heirloom. So we just that was really, really nice for me to understand and to get a better better grip of that. And also to learn the information about the uh, the yellow, the, the, the different colors of uh, carrots. I didn't even know that there were that many carrots out there. I knew there were several colors, but as she named some that I didn't know, and also the sweet potato. So that was really fascinating to hear about. And, uh, I thought that was really, I, really uh, good information. 
I just want the people to know you can get a free catalog. I'm telling you, this catalog is the bomb. If you go to be, uh, bakersrareseeds.com or bakerscreekseeds.com uh, and you can get you a free catalog. And actually, I think in the front part of the catalog, they're talking about free shipping offer for 2019 on your seeds. So, and these seeds are guaranteed. Um, satisfaction guarantee up to two years on your seeds. So if you're having any problems from the day that you purchase your seeds, if you have any problem with that seed not germinating or uh, happening, from the day that you purchase that seed, you have two years to kind of get that back. But, you know, it's important for us to be able to teach the next generation to grow their own food, to be self-sufficient, and I think this is really good. And what I liked about what she shared here is that they, these seeds are coming from local farmers throughout the world. Yes. And I remember uh, when we went to war with Iraq, the Iraqi farmers were mailing seeds to Baker's Creek Seed Company Say said, we're at war, save our seeds. And I, that just blew me out the water, that awesome. countries all over the world were sending seeds, of, you know, even in India, you know, Indian farmers, they deal with them with heirloom because genetically modified food uh, seeds had messed up a lot of the farmers in India, and they were committing suicide in the thousands per day because they got oh fed with uh, genetically modified companies, GMO, and, and these farmers never had ever, 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 use their land as collateral. So when American uh, companies selling their seed coming over there and they said, look, grow our seeds. And they said, we don't have no money. So they put up their land as collateral and bought the seeds, but then they needed the chemicals for the seed to germinate and to grow. And oh, they weren't God. getting the yield of, that they were promised that they were going to get. And not only that, in those rice fields and other fields in India, the children were able to run through the fields and play now they're spraying it with chemicals, and they're breaking out with rash. They have allergies, and these poor farmers couldn't afford to, to take their children to the doctor. They wasn't getting the yield that they were promised on the seeds to grow, and they were committing suicide in the thousands. And so now what's great about this company, they ship seeds to countries like Haiti. When they had an earthquake, they were sending seeds over there to help the people to grow and get themselves together to become self-sufficient. That's why I love this support this. And those are things you don't hear about. Those are things that you don't hear about. And and so I'm glad glad that that was brought out because I never knew that myself. Yeah, and Africa and Haiti and other places like that, because even in the back of the catalog, they had a deal with, they constantly sending seeds to different countries to help people to become self-sustainable. And what's great about seed saving, now you have women in Africa in various villages. They're now saving seeds, growing their um, their fruits and vegetables and saving seeds, and now they're selling their seeds to Baker's Creek Seed Company as a way of sustaining themselves. And I think, you know, seeds... Uh, stores used to be out throughout the United States, especially in the South. You always had seed stores, but you don't have that many no more. So we need to right. bring that back to our community in the rural areas of Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, all the, and even in some of the northern countries. We need to bring back these seed feed stores that used to be about our country. And I, for I, them I totally to be able to, totally agree. Yeah. So if they're paying these farmers, so yeah. This farmer can make money several different ways. 
saving seeds, produce they sell at the market, you know, there's ways to be able to sustain yourself. So I love that idea. So we hope people will take time. No, yeah, I really enjoy that, Marsha. When when she talked about they were looking for people in the South to uh, to grow the seed and to save the seed and to, to to be able to produce that seed back to them, that was a really good segment, and, and I really enjoyed listening to that because there are some farmers who are hurting and don't know how to sustain themselves, and here's a company that's looking for um, farmers to do just that. So that that's a good right. thing that. And hopefully the farmers are listening so that they will know to get in touch with Baker's Creek Heirloom Seeds and know that they will actually help them with that and and, um, and, and resource their land is, is doing that to make money back to the farmers. I thought that was an awesome and, thing. And I want to give the people this, this information again. It's called Baker's Creek Heirloom Seed Company. Their their phone number is 417-924-8917. They can reach them by email also at seeds at rareseeds.com. They're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, you know, for the young people who have their cell phones and want to be able, but for the older ones who want to just pick up the phone and call and say, how did this happen? That number is 417-924-8917. So uh, I think that's great. How awesome was that, that Shannon wrote the how awesome was it that Shannon was the one who wrote the book for the young people, the the children to be able to learn about the scene. <laughs> I thought and that I, was hilarious. I, I think I have a few copies of those books left and um the kids love it. They love the book and I I passed those out and I really wanna be able to have uh you know, I got my hand in so much other stuff, and I would love to have a space to be able to bring that to the children and they can plant the seeds, um, teach them and educate them, because I think it is so, so important for us to be able to share the importance of us having seeds. You know, you look at the tariff war that's going to be going on. We know there's going to be some food shortages. There is definitely going to be some food yes. shortage. In there's the already food shortages. <laughs> And there's already prices are going up. Right, yeah, right, and prices right. Are going up because you so know I, you got the, the. Go ahead, uh, Marsha. I think we. Uh, it would be good to announce, uh, say again, where they can get the books from for the children, because I remember her saying that it would, it, even if you have a nonprofit or a group of young people, they would be willing to send the books. So that was so positive. Oh yeah. Bring it on the next yeah. generation and, and how to plant that. Right. And okay, that was seeds at rareseeds.com, the same place, the telephone number I gave you. You can just contact them and um, get that. And actually, it's on their website too. You can also order that uh, for those who want to purchase that. Um, those books is on their website because that's how I got it it's on the website and it's a beautiful little illustration for kids. Uh, also, they have a chart showing you when to plant, and I'm pretty sure you can get that from your Department of Agriculture when it's the best time to plant. Um, a garden calendar or planner to say when the best time to plant, how deep it is to plant. So for those who are interested in beginning uh, beginners uh, on saving seeds or having a garden. You know, um, you may want to check with your Department of Agriculture in your area to see when it's best. But they have quite a few information here that is very, very, very helpful. And let me go back to that page. 
I'm trying to find that page with the telephone number and everything in there. But, yeah, I think it's, it's important. Uh, I think they have an eight. Nope, that's not there. But I'm excited, and I want people to be excited. Like I said, the catalog is free. Um, and I think the fact that I was knowing that they opened up the Doomsday Vault and they're already pulling seeds out that bank and reusing it because of the environment or what's going on or war that's happening currently um, in their country, people are needing to have those seeds. And I, my goal is for you to have your own seeds, not for you to wait for the government. I was born in New Orleans but raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and watching the devastation of Katrina and those people standing in line waiting for water, waiting for the government to come, they made be a slow response trying to get seeds from Norway to your neighborhood. So I think it's important for us to have community gardens because we know within many urban cities you have vacant lots that the city owns. Um, you can talk with them about having community gardens, CSAs, connecting with your farmers um, and supporting them. I think that is very, very important. So, you know, we need to know how to help each other and know how to grow our own food and be self-sustainable. Again, the number is 417-924-8917. And to order that, um, you can also go to www.rareseeds.com, get a catalog, order the uh, children's book. And if you are um, a church, nonprofit, and you're educating kids about or homeschooling, those books are free for you. So we want you to support that. So we hope you check it out. And another thing we, we failed to talk about in the show earlier is flowers. I mean, they got beautiful, beautiful flowers. And some of these flowers are edible flowers that you can eat. And then we have the herbs that's also in the catalog. Some of these flowers I've never seen before. They're just absolutely gorgeous. The different herbs that you can grow and how they're grown and where the herbs come from. So it's just not with fruits and vegetables. We have flowers, we have herbs, and we just want people to have what's real. Are you there, Marcia? Hey, Marcia, are you still there? Okay. All right, so we're going to take another break, and we'll be right back on the D-Hour Network. My, I'm your host, Marcia Thaddison. But I want to remind our listening audience, all the information here on the program is, um, is considered advice and information presented here for the purpose of information and education only. It should not be construed as offering medical advice or diagnosis or treatment of any illness or condition or preventing any health problems. The listening audience should consult with a licensed physician, healthcare practitioner, or for any proper diagnosis or treatment. Even though we're talking about food, we know food is very important for us. Okay, I think I had her on her um, listening. Marsha, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. All right. We're going to take another break, but I did repeat that information about the book. So those who are interested in as a nonprofit or homeschool association or church that want to educate the kids about seeds, I think it's so important because Genesis 1.12 um, God tells us we need seed to reproduce, and um, you can only reproduce when you have seed of its own kind. And Jeremiah 2.21, God is set with Israel. He tells Israel, 
Yet I have given you seeds, seeds of the highest quality. How then have you turned before me into alien vines? So food is important, and having those seeds is important because we want the right kind of seeds so we can bring forth the right kind of fruit within ourselves and in our children. All right, we'll be back on the D Hour Network with Marsha and Marsha.
welcome back to the DR Network. I'm your Marsha, your host, Marsha Patterson, with For Your Health. Our guest today was Shannon McKay from Baker's Creek Sea Company, and you're being hosted by Marsha and Marsha. I just want to remind our listening audience the purpose of this show is to educate us to bring great information to the table that we can utilize to better our lives and the lives of our families and our friends. Um, Marsha, you got anything you want to share with our listening audience at this point? No, just other than I really believe everybody needs to go online and check out that website with Baker's Creek uh, LMC because it's fabulous. And we've we've ordered some seeds from them, and we really enjoy the seed, and, and they do do what they say they do. So I really enjoy them, uh, and it's one of the better sources for reaching out and getting heirloom seeds. Now, are you guys familiar with quite a few of the farmers in that area that's growing or that need some support and help at this point? Uh, no, I'm not that familiar with them. Um, my husband might be familiar with them more so than I am. Um, I, I think it's something we need to get the word out. So I, I was going to mention to him that we might need to get the word out to see about some of them planting some of the seeds. Right, right. And even if they're growing collard greens or whatever they're growing, they can leave one seal of whatever they're growing to continue right. to flower and then take the other half and um, uh, sell it at the market or to their customers that they normally do. So that way they feel they're not plowing over. Because uh, I've had some farmers that that shared with me they had to plow over some of their produce because they weren't able to sell it. They just had to just plow over it. Wow. So wow. which is a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. a bad thing. And we know a lot of those farmers, they should be getting grants because some of the farmers I met a farmer, the farmer I got the watermelon from had gotten hurt with some of the storms and the President Trump had promised these farmers some money. And I thought the money was coming in the form of a uh, a loan, but no, that money is coming in the form of a grant to these farmers. Oh. So that is Yes, that money I thought was a loan, but no, it's coming. Some of that money is coming as a grant. So some of these farmers need to look at that. I know they probably didn't. Some may have kind of shut their ears, thinking maybe it has to be a loan. I don't know. So they may need to check with their Department of Agriculture, uh, the USDA in their area. Right. And if their right. USDA is not giving them what they want to hear, call another USDA in another area, uh, or go to Washington. Because, you know, sometimes the USDA weren't fair across board with a lot of the farmers. So we just want to make sure everybody's sitting at the table receiving what they're supposed to receive. Yes. Uh, that would be awesome <laughs> for uh, a lot of the farmers to hear that, especially in the Delta when they've, they've, they've been hit over and over again uh, with different things. So that would be awesome that they would know that there is a grant in some forms of it rather than a loan. Yes, 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 yes. So I just want to remind our listening audience, um, next, not what day is it, the 20, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're going to be talking, we'll have a, um, we're going to be talking about water, how to have pure drinking water in any situation. Uh, Ricardo, Ricardo Riddell, Riddell, I think her last name is, and she'll be coming in on the 21st, and we'll be talking about um, how to have clean drinking water in any situation or whatever's going on and how important water is to us and our bodies. So we'll be talking about That's that. That's going to be a good so, show. Yes. 
that's going to be a good show, bringing in that. And then, you know, at the end of the month, we'll be talking about um, grain, of the benefit of grain. So we're in the process of redoing the website, uh, still getting that together. But we want to be able to do some live shows on Facebook along with For Your Health. So people be able to see what we're trying to do and even do some demonstrations uh, so people are able to um, watch some of the process of eating healthy or knowing how to make their kefir or kombucha uh, by watching us live on For Your Health uh, through Facebook. So we're planning to make some changes, but um, Those are some one good step things at a time, I just want to be able to Yay, those are, those are some really girl. good things to look yeah. forward to that the audience can, can look forward to seeing the kabucha being made and the keeper being made and, and, and even te- being able to teach their children as they're watching. Exactly, exactly. You know, and uh, you know, getting these kids from the iPhones and iPads and television, it's a challenge. Um, you know, I had my, uh, my uh, granddaughter here and I had some nephews here and they – Man, oh man, trying to get them away from them telephones is it's like pulling teeth. Uh, <laughs> that's all they want in their hand is that telephone. But my vision is I truly believe, you know, I, I feel for the, the the people coming across the border who are looking for a better life and they're in, and he's in confinement and people are hungry. And I, you got everyday working people who are working two and three jobs trying to feed their family. And I truly believe uh, if the tariff tax is going place, we're going to see prices go up. So that's why I want to be able to show families how to feed themselves, how to take care of themselves. And I guess I guess I feel like a broken record because I'm saying it, and I don't think people are heeding the word. We got more and more young people. Um, I was told my nephew's uh, wife was diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer. The doctor oh says it's all in one yeah, and then I'm hearing about a lot of young people in their 40s, 45, having heart attacks, um, early 50, Alzheimer's and dementia, um, 47, 48, having hip and knee replacement. Come on. And it's all you about know, the food. And a lot of it, it's all about the food. It is. It's all about the food. It's all about the food. And it's food. And, you know, another thing that, you know, I had this on my show before, and I need to bring this back on food and behavior and how this food is having a profound effect on mental, our mental state of being because we're eating something that was never, ever, ever on our tables before. And I can look. You had a young lady. Her name was uh, Shannon. Um, I wrote her name down in my prayer book. A little 18-year-old who stabbed her mom multiple times. And uh, she actually can't remember why. And the family is just baffled that she did this to her mom. And some gentleman... Um, blacked out after his graduation or whatever, and he killed his roommate, but don't have no remembrance of doing this. And oh, people got to realize, mental, yeah, mental illness is real, and food has a profound effect on our mental state of being. I know people don't want to believe that, but it does, and we have to go back to eating the healthy food that feeds our brains, that feeds our gut, so we can be a, be healthy and live a healthy, long life, because in the early 40s and People having all these early diseases, no, that's what not God had not designed that for us. Adam and Eve well, got you, kicked out of the garden for what they ate. Yes, you Did didn't see them all of that. You didn't see all of that years ago. Uh, so we know that it has something to do with the food. It has something to do with us um, not exercising and treating our bodies right. 
So it, we've got to do better about that. And the only way that that can happen is we is is that we eat better and and protect our bodies with the proper foods and the proper nutrients, so that we can live longer and and be healthier overall. Exactly, exactly. And you know, uh, you were on my show talking about the essential oils and how that's beneficial. So there's many things out here besides the food, the essential oil, the vitamins, the nutrients. You know, I had Tony Stephan on. He talked about the nutrients of the brain, how his son was bipolar, his wife was bipolar and committed suicide, and our brain is malnourished. It's malnourished. We have to feed it the food that's going to allow it to run. There's no way you can run your car without gasoline. Or putting yes. oil in that car, the car gonna lock up, and so we're locking up our brains because of the wrong oils and the food that we're feeding it, and we have to go back to eating healthy fresh food. Yeah, and, 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 and why you, you, know, you even brought up? You you showed me something once when I was with you too that that really triggered something, and it was about the salt, the book about the salt, and how the salt. Girl. Is, now, you know how I am with that salt, girl. I do not go without my salt. Now, here in Georgia, it's been 90 degrees every day. Every day, mm. it's been 90 degrees. And I'm making sure I have that salt in my water, and I make sure I brush my teeth with that salt because I would never, ever, 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 ever be without my pink Himalaya sea salt that has 84 minerals, my Redmond sea salt that has 60 minerals, or my Celtic sea salt that has about 90 minerals. Our body needs it, and when you sweat, your sweat is salty. Your urine is salty. Your blood is salty. You are the salt of the earth. Have a little salt in you that you may have peace with your brother. Your brain sits in salt water. And over the years, if you don't replenish the water or the salt, that nervous system that allows messages to travel back and forth to your brain dries out. We need salt because the first thing they hook us up to when we go to the hospital is what? Saline. And, and it, you know, I see movers outside or wherever. I'm, I got some salt for the police officer. I got some salt for someone because they're walking around with these bulletproof vests on and all those clothing, and it's 90 degrees out there. That, that, Add some salt. Um, you want to tell us about the red salt? The what kind of salt? You said the pink salt, and did you say red salt? Redmond, the Redmond real salt. Real salt. I like that salt. I cook with that a lot. That's a little more finer salt, but that has 60 minerals. And let me tell you a story. When I had my grand opening in my store in Noonan, Georgia, um, I was giving out salt to people. I'm always giving out salt. I keep salt in my car, and I'm passing them out to the police officers and uh, the firemen. And I just, we had a guy in here moving some things, and my daughter ordered a new mattress, and he's sweating bullets bringing up that um, mattress, sweating bullets. And his back was hurting him. I said, you're dehydrated. Well, I drink water. No, you got to put some salt in your water. And when he started doing that, he called and said, you know what? It works. Hello. Yes, it works. And, and I passed it off to the officer. That's the pink Himalaya sea salt. That has okay. the 84 minerals. And what I suggest to people is take one or two teaspoons and put it into a gallon of spring water. Let it sit overnight because the minerals that was once in the salt will now be in the water. And drink 
half your weight in water in ounces. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you need to be drinking 100 ounces of water. And salt is good for your body. I tell people water and salt is your WD-40 for your joints, your brain, the whole bit. And I used to be able to tell you when it was going to rain and when the temperature was going to drop. I can't tell you that no more. When I start incorporating that water and salt in my diet, that went away. And one of the ladies that came to me, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. One of the ladies that came to my grand opening said to me, Marcia, I cannot do salt because I have high blood pressure. I said, you can't do the little girl with the umbrella because she has no minerals. I think she only has two minerals, and she has iodine in there. I said, leave her alone and do this. I had her to cook with the Redmond sea salt, and I said, drink more water. She did. She came in the store maybe a month and a half later and said, oh, my God, I'm off my blood pressure medication. Oh, wow. Surprise. And now, where people can they who find have the heart conditions, people who have where heart can... conditions, mm-hmm. if you, I mean, if you have heart problems or heart palpitation or um, any kind with your heart, if you're on a saltless diet, you're setting yourself up for a heart attack. Your body needs salt. So where can they find the retinal salt? Uh, we do sell it, and you, and it's, you can pretty find the Redmond, the Redmond Sea Salt at any grocery store, any health food store, pretty much. Uh, you can also find it on my website, at, uh, but, you know, it's everywhere. But the thing about what's it's everywhere, people have no clue the benefit it holds for your body. There's right. many things that sit on the everyday store, everything in the market, and that's what I bring to people and say, okay, let me tell you why you want to use this. And let me tell you the health benefit. The same way with the diatomaceous earth, food grade, how that benefits, you know, your hair, your nails, your teeth, your, right. you know, um, taking away parasites and worms and all this other kind of stuff because we don't know. We eat so much food, we don't even know we have parasites and worms until we're ready to go to bed and then your butt's itching and you wonder every night why your butt is itching because the parasites are trying to come out at night. So, but... We want to bring everyday stuff to people to say, this is what our ancestors did years ago, and this is how they took care of it. We are the salt. We came from the dirt. We came from the earth. We were the salt we of the earth. And we're gonna, yeah, mm-hmm. and we're going to go back. We're going to go back. So yeah. we're going to bring mm-hmm. those minerals and things in our bodies that it needs. Your body needs 102 minerals per day, and we're not getting that. So I'm showing you what I'm learning, and I'm only bringing what I've learned. If I, I, if I haven't tried it or haven't done it, you ain't going to hear me open my mouth about nothing. I'm not going to say nothing. I only share with you what I've tried and I know have worked because I have bought many vitamins and supplements over the years, and they just sat in the cabinet and did nothing for me. But when I share something with you, trust me, it's going to work. That's awesome. It's going to work. So this is a time for salt because of the weather and and because of the humidity. Amen. Because it's it's so hot outside. And our bodies are being depleted, so we we really need to put that salt in us. I do like the Hellenian, exactly. the pink Hellenian salt. I cook with that, and I do like it. Yes. And I, and I can and tell when it's from it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can tell if like, I've been outside on a farm or been somewhere, and I've been talking, and I haven't taken time to drink my water because I'm doing a presentation. I'm running my mouth. 
My body can tell me when I'm dehydrated. Late at night, I get toe cramps. My toes will start cramping. So I yes. go upstairs, I sip, that, sip that salt on my tongue and let it sit, and I sip on the water, and I sip on the water, and it goes away. I said, oh, I forgot. And I just add the salt to my water, and I'm good to go. That's awesome. Good to go. And starting to cook with it, and then, you know, we talked about the, you know, different foods and recipes. I had uh, Sally Fallon on from uh, Western Price Organization, bone broth. This is food, and this is food that our ancestors used to fix, bone broth. It was a cheap way well, of that, that, providing the meal for our family. Well, the bone broth was a lot of times what we had left over. Um, or or if mom had the caucus of the chicken, she would make a broth out of it, mm-hmm. and then she would put Amen. some noodles in it, and we would have chicken noodle soup. <laughs> and you know what? And it has, and now they know it has so much healing properties. The bone broth yes. with the collagen, where it gels up, it for healing your digestive and healing your gut. And that's one of the first foods they start introducing to children who are autistic. Bone broth, kefir, fermented foods, and these kids are coming back. People are That's getting awesome. their children back from ADHD, bipolar, schizophrenic, even behavior problems with diet. White flour, white sugar, white rice, white salt has all been bleached, and it's messing our kids up. A friend of mine, my sister-in-law in Wisconsin, was telling me her neighbor was complaining about her grandson. Every day after lunch, she's getting a call about how he's acting up in school. And I had just did a series on food and behavior. And my sister-in-law, she remembered, and she said, wait a minute, your son having, your grandson having trouble after lunch. What are they feeding him? A whole bunch of processed stuff. The school lunch was a pit. It was horrible. She started homeschooling her grandson, changing his diet, no problem, none, nada. Academically, he's, he's doing well. Yeah, Isn't and they know this. They knew this back in the 1920s, 1930s. They knew this. Food has a profound effect on our kids' behavior and even adults' behavior. I had some reading about some man uh, punched his child in the chest from eating some food of his and the child did. A cheesecake. Cheesecake. Food will make you angry and do kind of crazy stuff. So I'm bringing information to everyday people because a lot of times we're busy working, paying the bills. We don't have time to research this. We're researching it, finding out what's available, and letting people know we can take care of this. And it's all back to the basics. Back to the basics. And it's nothing hard. You look, you know I ain't gonna do nothing hard, right? No, I ain't doing nothing. Right. But it's right. Easy. So it's back it's easy, simple. Yeah. And yeah. going back to the basics. So you learn you learned how to do the keeper. You did you learn how to do the keeper, didn't you, Marsha? Yes, I did learn how to do the keeper and I thoroughly enjoyed drinking my keeper. <laughs> okay. All right. So we know what it is. I just want to thank everyone for being on the show because we're down to about 90 seconds left of the show. And, uh, Marsha, thank you for coming on board with me. Anytime you're free, girl, you, you're more than welcome to join me. And tell Gary we're going to be in touch. Uh, once he finished with that house, we're going to take 
take ourselves to another level with the business. So I just want to wish everyone a blessed week. Make it safe. I pray the information we've given you is beneficial for you and your family. So everyone, have a safe, beautiful week. And Marcia, thank you for being on board with me, kiddo. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, we 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 sisters in in the in the world, yeah. and we also sister in the Lord. So thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you.